You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. I'm glad that we were able to worship. Man, worship was great this morning. Uh, there was just a real sweet spirit, and I feel like God is, God is definitely shifting us. Uh, we had our elders weekend this weekend, and it's clear that God is shifting us in a, a new direction. There's a new thing happening at City Lights. I feel His presence is getting stronger. So uh, I'm glad that you're here to be a part of that with us. Um, so you're either going to jump on the ride and enjoy it, or you're going to be scared the whole time. Uh, I, I encourage you to enjoy it. So, yeah. Anyway, I went on a, a ride this last summer with my daughters. They were begging to get on um, Knobles. They have a water ride. They're begging to get on this thing. We get on the actual little boat, and my oldest, my oldest, loses her mind. Whew, I was, every bit of grace and patience was just like starting to die, and everything else was starting to come alive. It was bad. Anyway, uh, that is not at all my message today. Um, let me ask you a question, though. Uh, how many of you, um, and this might be embarrassing to you or not, maybe, some of you guys are like, oh yeah, but how many of you guys have ever been in like a physical fist fight? Um, either as a teenager, last week, whatever. Um, how many of you guys have been in some kind of like physical altercation? Let's say that. That's the, so the majority of us, wow. That's, blessed are the peacemakers. So, so anyway, uh, but how many of us, um, so physical altercations, right? I, even though I was always the biggest kid in school, pretty much in my class, um, the one that everybody in my whole life is like, oh, do you play football? Do you wrestle? No, I don't. I've never done. Do you work out? No. Clearly, I do not work out. Um, don't do baseball either. I, I love baseball, but I never did. I went to a private school. There was 12 kids in my class. The only sports that we offered was basketball, which I'm awful at, and, uh, and track and field. I'm not running anywhere. So, and say, so, oh, you could, you could throw a large, heavy ball. No, I'll pass on that, please. Um, anyway, so... I remember, though, in high school, one of my closest friends at the time, Mark, um, he came in from lunch, he came at lunchtime because he was at the dentist that day, and he, his mom had bought him soda at like Hardee's or McDonald's or something like that, and it was just all ice and water, basically, at that point, and he came in, and he was just real cocky and like strutting his stuff to all the friends around the lunch table, and he decided to dump his cup of ice water on me, um, which kind of made me mad, right? But I'm always, I was always the guy to kind of take it, and I was the peacemaker, and I was constantly, I was that guy. I never acted out, right? And so we go to the next class, geometry class, and it was a small school, and in a small Christian school, it's a lot of chaos sometimes. And we have these little desks set, set up, and we're all sitting in a circle in a couple of different squares, squares and circles apparently uh, but there was one chair that was like a leather office chair the rest of us had like little stool chairs and mark would always sit in that leather leather chair just because nobody cared um, and the teacher would sit in front of the class and talk but the teacher wasn't in the room mark mark wasn't in class yet and i'm like you know what we don't have assigned seats i'm taking his chair so i sit in the chair mark comes in he goes get on my seat i said no he's like come on get on my seat i said no he goes, get out of my seat. I stood up. I got out of the seat. He sat down in the seat. And then I shoved him into the wall. And the whole, the whole class went, because they're like, what just happened? Their minds are blowing because Jesse, the peacemaker, just shoved his friend into the wall. And Mark was confused more than anything. He was, 
what just happened? He was so, so confused. So our teacher walks in completely oblivious to what had just happened, begins to talk about geometry and proofs and all that nonsense. Unless that's your thing, that's great, and we, we need that. Um, I've never used geometry to this day. But anyway, uh, he comes in, and he was a great teacher. I really, I really do respect this guy. He was awesome. But uh, has no clue what's happening. So class is going, and Mark's sitting in the leather seat now, like, like completely his world's been shocked. His best friend that he always, like, victimized is now confused, like, just shoved him into a wall. And so Mark, about halfway through the class, he pulls out a bag of, of gummy lifesavers. Like, the, you know what I'm talking about? They're, they were gummy. And they're sitting there, and he, like, slides a couple toward me. And I go, <laughs> go like that, just smack them away. Like, Get away from me. And he puts them back, slides them toward me. I'm like, be gone, you know, that kind of thing. And so the third time he slides, he's like, I'm trying to say I'm sorry. And I'm like, all right, delicious. You know, I'm sitting there. I was the fat kid. Of course I'm eating the lifesavers. They were delicious. But I say that not because that solved anything. I say that because to this day, it was so out of my character, and I completely acted in my flesh, not in the lifestyle that had been taught to me as a Christian, that we live as peacemakers, not by vengeance. I could have had another conversation that brought about justice, but instead I shoved him into a wall when he wasn't expecting it, right? There are these moments, though, when we kind of completely get out of character, and sometimes it works what we want it to work like, right? It's like, oh, I got what I wanted. But sometimes everybody in that room, though, now thinks of you as something that you, that you don't want to be. From that point on, people saw me not as just Jesse the Peacemaker, but the guy who could throw his best friend into a wall over some ice water, you know. We're looking at the end of 1 Corinthians today. Today is the last passage, and yes, I am that guy to even preach on the closing statements of Paul's letter. There is stuff to be found in this passage today, and I want, I want us to take a look at it, because we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a man. We're going to talk about what does it mean to defend what's ours and to stand firm. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, this is verse 12, I strongly urge you, or urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And that they, were devoted, they, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. To every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus. Say that three times fast. Because they have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. To the church of Asia send you, send you greetings. The church of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and, Pris- and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for our Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So that is his closing statements there. 
to the church in Corinth in this letter. We see he writes other letters as well, but this is the closing thoughts here. He starts off this verse, right? Verse 12. Like, hey, you know our brother Apollos. Um, I, want him to vi- I wanted him to visit you. And this translation could be a little misleading. Kind of, theologians don't really know if it was Apollos' choice to not come at the time or if God had somehow stopped him. But it makes it sound like Apollos is like, I don't want to go. But that's probably not the case. But Paul tells the readers in Corinth, hey, here's my final thoughts to you. Remember Apollos? I wanted him to be with you. He can't come right now. When he does, receive him. Why is he saying this right now? Why, why is this different and important to us? Do you guys remember what happened earlier on in 1 Corinthians? Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe. <coughs> Excuse me. They're arguing, the church in Corinth is literally at this time of receiving the letter, arguing over what leader they subscribe to. It was all about theology. It was all about teaching. The, remember the Stoics and, and, the, and the, not the Stoics, the, um, the teachers, the sophists. Like everybody would subscribe, this is my sophist. This is my teacher. Any other teacher is wrong. And they were arguing over whether they follow Paul or Apollos. It was making a big rivalry. What theology do we go under? And Paul says to them back then, it's not about me or Apollos, it's about Jesus. And now here Paul is telling them in his last thoughts, hey, I want you to know this is not about me. And my buddy, Apollos, that you've been trying to make us enemies, I want him to come to you. And I want you to receive what he teaches you. There's no competition here. There's no arguments between us. There's love between us. This is God here. If God wants him to be here with you, he will teach you. God will teach you through Apollos. It's not about myself. It's not about Paul. It's not about my agenda. So stop making arguments and divisions in your church. And even, not only am I going to tell you that at the beginning of the letter, I'm going to say to you and prove to you I have no animosity against him. So often what we do, is, especially in America's church, we have all these different sects, right? Uh, different denominations and organizations. We're like, oh, no, 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 love them, love them. But then in our closets, we're like, that guy is crazy. Or, or like, he's kind of secretly in my own heart. He's my competition. Like, I, don't, I don't want you, I don't want my church, the people that I, I fed the gospel and raised up from, from, from being lost to now in Christ, I don't want them following that guy. Paul says, no, 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 we're friends, and I want you to follow him because he follows the Lord. He's giving. He's giving his people. You guys see what I'm saying? That's the, I want you to see that before we get into these next couple of verses. He is demonstrating that it's not about building his own agenda. That verse is all about demonstrating the kingdom mindset of God establishing his way and loving the brothers across the board regardless of their positions, regardless of their leadership styles, regardless of their followers, loving the brothers in in Christ. Verse 13. So then it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, right? What does it mean to stand firm and act like men? What is this talking about? When we think of act like men, (laughs) you guys probably don't think of great things. But we, we, we think of like this chauvinism, this macho-ness, this I defend what's mine. It's me pushing my friend when I was a kid, shoving him into the wall because he did something that hurt my feelings and made me look silly. 
standing strong, being tough, right? But that's not at all what he's talking about here. Let me explain. We see David in 1 Chronicles. He's King David. He's the one of the heart of God. He's about to die. And it's time for him to give his kingdom over to his son Solomon. Right? Let's turn there. 1 Chronicles. I wasn't exactly planning on going there, but I just feel like we should. You guys still with me? You all right? First Chronicles chapter 28, we'll read verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches the hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for his sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then in verse 20, Then David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the works for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the services in the house of God. And with you all in all the works will be Every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. He, he's telling him here, when he says be strong and courageous, he's not fighting war. He's not saying, Solomon, be strong and courageous and go defend the land and, and build monuments and get the swords ready and prepare the chariots. He says, be strong and courageous. Know who God is. Serve the Lord. Know His love for you. Build the temple. Build His dwelling place. You're going to need to be strong and courageous because God's in it with you. And the same thing here when Paul was telling the church in Corinth, be strong and courageous, stand watch. He's saying, look, be strong and courageous, act like men who know how to serve the Lord, love the Lord, build the body, not tear it down. Build my temple. The reason David couldn't build the temple of God is because his hands seen war. And he was killing. He was a warrior. And God said, no, 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 that's not for you to build my temple. It's for Solomon, your son, to build the temple. Because what was Solomon's thing? Wisdom. He asked God, give me wisdom so I can serve and love and build a people that know you. Make sense? Now Solomon had issues, and the scripture tells us about the issues. He had a lot of wives, and a lot of wives led to a lot of issues, um, such as idolatry. But when we see this idea of standing strong to the church coming from a Jewish man, it has nothing to do with chauvinism, masculinity, fighting, burping, spitting, whatever. GQ magazine has nothing to do with our American understanding of masculinity. It has everything to do with a kingdom renewing of the mind and defending the house of the Lord. Seeking Him. Stand strong. Don't let divisions come among you. When you let little quarrels come among you, you are not standing strong. When you fight over everything that feels wrong against you, and you make enemies out of everybody because of everything, you are not being strong. You are being weak and foolish. This has nothing to do with punching your enemy in the eye. This is seeking the face of God. Verse 14, he ends that very thought. Let all that you, be, that you do be done in love. So stand strong and act like men in love. Everything you do should be in love. If you 
are acting like a man and it's not out of a place of love, you're not acting like a man. If you are thinking you're standing strong and, and protecting something good, but you're not acting out of love, but instead you're acting out of self-serving gratification and, and some form of justice, that's not standing strong at all. You're actually being weak and foolish. Does that make sense? There's a complete different paradigm that Paul wants the church in Corinth to begin to think with. Completely different way of understanding strength. Do it in love. Now, I know I, I've heard this verse so many times. How many of you guys have ever heard, heard the verse about taking it by force, right? The, the violent take it by force. Sometimes I've heard the righteous take it by force. Um, have you, anybody heard that verse preached? Well, the, the right, four of us. Okay, well, I'm glad because <laughs> I'm going to try to unteach what four of us have been t- probably have been taught. So often I've heard that verse, like, you know, about, well, the righteous take it by force, the violent take it by force, as if, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to be like these little he-men, like gladiators, and we've got our swords, and we're fighting demons in the spirit, and we're screaming out against injustices, and we're locking everybody in prisons, and we're binding and loosing, and it's just craziness. That's not at all what that verse is talking about. So the four of us who might have been thinking that, it's not it. We're going to go here anyway. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to look at this verse because I want you to see something here. And this, this is how Paul is ending. This, this idea has to be ingrained in our hearts. Matthew chapter 11. We there? We good? Everybody's like, I'm just looking at the screen. I'm not even flipping a page. Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished in, instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Which is weird, right? Because John's the one who's been saying before Jesus even arrived on the scene, here he comes, prepare the way, repent, here he is. And then behold, here he is. When Jesus, and he baptizes, I, I'm not even worthy to, to, to tie your shoes, let alone baptize you. Like, this is John, who knows who Jesus is. In the womb, John jumps when his mom meets Jesus' mom and they're pregnant. He's like, whoo, there's the Lord. Like, how many of you guys testifying about the Messiah in the womb? Probably not many of us. We're like having a worship service in the belly. Maybe. Maybe. But John clearly was like, this is the Messiah. And now all of a sudden, he's hearing stories, and he's locked up in jail. And he's like, wait a minute. Maybe we better go double check. Are you Messiah? And this was Jesus' response. Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to, the crowds concerning John. What did you see go out into the wilderness? What did you go out, uh, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you see go out? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, This is he whom is written, Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist, 
Until now, the kingdom of God suffered violence, the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall we compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to their playmates. We played the flute for you and it did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. That's a lot right there. And somebody goes, what are we talking about? We got the violent taken by force. We have wearing soft clothes. We have reeds blown in the wind. This is weird. What? Let, me, let me explain to you what's happening. So Paul, John knows that Jesus is the Messiah. The kingdom of God is coming. Here He comes. This is Him. The Christ. The Anointed One. To bring God's kingdom finally to the earth. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't look like what He was thinking. And he's in jail and he's in prison. And he's about to die. And He says, oh, wait, are, are you it? Because it doesn't look like it. And Jesus says, go tell John what you've seen. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The lepers are cleansed. My word, the good news is being preached to the poor. Tell him that. And then he walks away, and Jesus says, what, what, did, what, did, what was he looking for? Was he, was he looking for soft clothes? Was he looking for a reed in the wind? What does a reed in the wind have to do with anything, right? A reed in the wind was a symbol on the coin for Herod, the king. Soft clothes were the clothes of those who were in the palace. Jesus says, it's not about my coins and sitting on thrones. It's not about the clothes that I wear. It's about the, the kingdom of God is now something different. He says from all those days up until John, John was the best of all the prophets that we love and adore of Moses. He's the one who actually got to see me come. But from that point, now, from, from John until now, the rest, it's a different kingdom. It's a different way of doing things. Why am I saying this? Because Jesus is trying to tell the disciples it's not about violence. It's not about taking what's ours. It's about displaying the hand of God when the lame walk, when the blind see, when the deaf hear, when the broken are loved on and cared for, when the gospel is preached. That is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Not nice clothes, not thrones, not gold coins, not spears, not war. Those are not the manifestations of the new kingdom of God. That's an old way of bringing the kingdom. There's a new kingdom that's established make sense there's a new thing and he ends that this passage here he says you know john came did all these things and they said he was this i came and i do these things they say i'm that but then yet wisdom is justified by her deeds you and i will never be justified or right in our actions by taking what's ours taking our rights back and fighting and being a man and yelling when something goes wrong against us, right? You and I will be justified when our deeds of wisdom in the kingdom of God are manifest in this city. Yesterday was a demonstration when Will and the group went and explained and declared the kingdom of God in the Viewmont Mall. There's so many stories. I was talking to Robert. He's like, he was in another world when I talked to him, and that's great. Because that's, what, that's why we have testimonies. Because it should stir us to propel, or propel the kingdom of God, right? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. We don't overcome by making new blood. We overcome by His blood and our testimonies, our deeds. 
It's a new kingdom that's being established. We get to model that. I want to read a quote from a, uh, a theologian named Robert Capon. And he, he, Jared, a few months ago, was here. He talked about left-hand, right-hand theology, right? Like, le- like the one is the hand of power and the sword, and the other is the hand of love and grace. And in the kingdom, we live in that hand. And, and Capon's talking about it a little bit, the same thing, but he actually says uh, straight-line power. Straight-line power is the power that, like, gets its way because it's the authoritative yelling. Let me read this quote. Unfortunately, there's a limitation. If you take the view that one of the chief objects in life is to remain in loving relationships with other people, straight-line power becomes useless. Oh, admittedly, you can snatch your baby boy away from the edge of a cliff and have not broken relationships on your hands. But just try interfering with his plans for the season when he's in his 20s. And see what happens, especially if he's choosing plans of havoc that wreak havoc on your own plans. Suppose he makes an unauthorized use of your car, and you use a little straight line verbal power to scare him out of doing it again. So you're yelling at your son for stealing your car. Got everybody tracking here? Theologians use weird words sometimes. It's okay. Um, They just do. I, I have to take a lot of time to figure this out. He says, well and good, but suppose further that he does it again anyway, and again, and again, and again. What do you do next if you are committed to straight-line power? You raise your voice a little more nastily each time till you can't shout any louder, and then you beat him if you are stronger than he is, until you can't beat any harder. Then you chain him to the radiator until, well, you see the point. At some very early crux in that difficult personal relationship, the whole thing will be destroyed unless you, who on any reasonable view, should be allowed to use straight-line power, simply refuse to use it. In other words, you decide, instead of dishing out justifiable pain and punishment, you are willing, quite foolishly, to take the beating yourself. So, what, what do you do when your power doesn't really get you what you want anymore? You've yelled, you've screamed, you've paddled, you've spanked, you've, you've manipulated, you've done whatever you need to do so many times, and it's still not working for you. What do you do then? There's, there comes a point when your power doesn't do any good. That straight-line, authoritative thing doesn't reap loving relationships. I'm not speaking against paddling your kids and correcting them. I'm not speaking that. I'm just saying, though, that Christ came and manifested a completely different way of dealing with sin and brokenness, didn't he? I'm so thankful that every time I mess up, he doesn't spank me and say, Jesse, you're, you're off ministry duty now for another year until you can get everything back together. Jesse, I'm going to put you on timeout with a relationship. You won't hear my spirit anymore for a while until you can kind of get these things back in place. He doesn't do that. So why do we? Why do we look at injustices and come out with this straight line, you will feel my wrath. You will. So the other day, I was like kind of in like this place of standing up for what's right, right? I, 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 once in a while, I get this in my heart, and I don't know why I did it. And I, I don't feel bad about this one, but let me explain. So the other day, I'm at CVS. I'm getting some, uh, some sinus medicine. I got a little bit of a head thing going on. So I get out of my car, and I see this guy. He's walking with his pants low. And he's got his hood up, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he's got a bottle of Gatorade. And I, I just happen to look over at him, and he takes his last sip of Gatorade and throws it on the sidewalk. And instantly, every bit of anger, like, 
the earth is crying out for the sons of God, right? It's the, so I, I walk over to this guy. Or I, he's walking down the sidewalk, and I come up behind. I'm like, it's okay. I'll get this. And I bend over real angrily. I got it. There's trash cans everywhere. That's literally what I said. And part of me is like, you know, I, 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 maybe I taught him a lesson. Who knows? But, like, we get to this, like, we feel really good about ourselves when we yell, don't we? When we confront somebody aggressively. There's this part of us that feels like, yeah, I was justified. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, wisdom will be known by our deeds. Wisdom will be manifest whenever you just do the kingdom. We speak the truth in love. I was not speaking the truth in love that day. I wanted him to come back, apologize to me, and pick it up himself. But that didn't happen. What is, the, what is our heart position when we deal with people? I have a, a little funny meme that I saw actually uh, this morning on Facebook by a, a pastor. Parenting in public, parenting at home, right? Like so much of the Christian life is kind of this paradigm though. With like... When we're in church, blessed are the peacemakers. Let's kneel on our, our pews. We don't have the kneeling pads here. But let's kneel down and let's say our prayers and let's, let's be peaceful. And then the elections happen and it's like, Rah! right? Facebook, that's us. Like we become some other, and then our kids, our kids spill their crowns and they use markers on the walls. You're grounded for a year. They're three years old, so they're going to miss their entire third year of life because they spilled crap. Like, we get into this, like, dictator mode where we're, like, yelling because we feel like something is wrong, and I have to make it known this is wrong. But we preach a different gospel on Sunday mornings. And I want to, Paul is ending this letter to them saying it's about bringing unity. It's about speaking the truth in love. It's about sp- standing firm, not on your agenda or your, your own self-righteousness. It's about standing firm and being the body of Christ together, speaking the truth in love, pursuing him, protecting this thing. Make sense? I don't know what time it is, but I got one more point. So if, if, if we were to look at today's message and his closing thoughts, the first one is love. The second one is what I would call honor. Verse 15 through 19, we'll read these one more time together. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts of Achaia, and they were devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice in the comings of Stephanus, Fortunus, and the Caicos, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirits as well as yours. And here, I want you to highlight this. Give recognition to such people. The Church of Asia sends you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you a hearty greeting in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, Stop there for a second. Paul ends this like, look at these people. These people that I'm pointing to you right now are people who have labored with you and are laboring for you. Honor them. Honor all the people that you work with in the Lord. All the, honor the people that you serve with. Give recognition to when these people are doing the work of the Lord and they are refreshing my spirit and your spirit. 
we live in a culture that we only give honor to like those in high positions and those who like give us something specifically and personally. Make sense? Kingdom of God honor is not like, well, if you give me honor, then I'll give you honor. It's like we honor all the workers of God. We should honor our wives. We honor our kids. There's a good one for us, right? We wonder half the time why our kids don't give us honor, but from the time we were, they were born, all we did was yell at them when they didn't do something wrong. Guess what? If you have a child, they will do something wrong. And then when they figure that one out, they're going to do another thing wrong because they're growing and learning. So instead of honoring them and saying, I celebrate you, I, I give you my love, I talk to you like a person, not like something that I own, and then we wonder why they don't honor us back, right? Paul closes this thing saying, church, if you could just get it together to honor the people in your community, honor these fellow workers. Look, look of course we, we see the people who are serving in a different capacity. We recognize those people, but we are honoring God's people. We are loving each other, speaking the truth in love. Everything that we do is in love. Does it make sense? You guys tracking with me? If we would learn to honor each other in our lives, I'm telling you, you will see more change and you will see, receive more personal satisfaction than when you live with that straight line authority, that heavy hand of power, that confrontational spirit. We can confront, but we can confront in honor and love and that'll do way more good than anything that our flesh tries to stir up. Make sense? I see I'm losing a, f- a few, it looks like. Okay, if he tells me I gotta love somebody one more time, I'm going to go off on him. No. And then I'll talk about honor again. Um, kidding. Honor has nothing to do with position or age. We see that in Timothy. It has nothing to do with his, his ability to speak. It has nothing to do with, with his age or his prestige or the degrees that he has. Honor is the fact that he's serving and he's in the image of God. And he's following God. We are to recognize God-given leadership. We are to honor those who are working for the gospel in our lives. I love that in verse 16, he says, be subject to such as these. In our culture, if you read verse 13, it says, act like a man, and then read verse 16, be subject, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. As an American and as a man, that does not sound right. You want me to be subject and act like a man. I'm confused. There, there's a paradigm here that we need to learn. Acting like a man is recognizing leadership and authority in our lives, submitting to the lordship of Christ. That's Genesis right there. There's an authority, there's a, there's a line of communication with the Father. And we try to mess that thing up so often. We don't understand what it means to be subject to anybody. I'm my own man. You know, it's, I did it my way, you know, the classic song. That's not the kingdom of God. You do it your way, good luck, have fun. You're going to make a lot of enemies and you're not going to do anything for the kingdom. You do it his way, everybody, well, not everybody's going to love you. They will persecute us, absolutely. But brothers in Christ, your family, they're going to honor you. They're going to see quality in you and the kingdom of God will be established. Give recognition. This last few verses here, I, I read this and I thought, I'm, 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 I got my highlighter out because I found, found it kind of weird. These last few verses, worship team, if you want to come forward. Verse 20, right? All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
Verse 21, I, Paul, write this in my own hand because he wants to prove that he's, it's, he's actually the one writing. Most of his letters, he would dictate to somebody and they would write it and he would sign it. That's basically what's happening. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord be with you. I'm highlighting this and I'm like, this seems like a lot of randomness, right? So greeting each other with a kiss. If anybody doesn't like Jesus, curse him. Jesus, come. Grace and peace to you. The love that I have in Christ with you. Right? That seems kind of like, wait, he's bouncing. All, he's like, all of a sudden, the last few minutes, he's like, bipolar. Like, he's just like, I don't know what I'm writing anymore. This is my own hand, and here it goes. Weird thoughts. And so if we look at this, it's like, you got a kiss, you got a curse, you got come Christ, and you got the love of Christ. Like, wait, what? In like three verses. First off, the kiss is simply the greeting of the time. It's welcoming. Church, be welcoming to people. You kiss me, it might be a little bit weird for me in our culture. It will be a little bit weird for me, just being honest. But there's a greeting, there's a hospitality. And then he throws in this verse, if, any, if, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. He's, Paul is not calling down his own curses. He's like, hey, let's love everybody. Let's be, let's be this new kingdom of love and cursing people who don't like us. If you look earlier in chapter 12, we see that there are people, there's this idea of people saying Jesus is accursed. They're cursing him. They're speaking against Christ. And he says, those who are against Christ, they're already cursed. Like, they're, they're living in the curse. They don't see the promise of Christ. Paul is not bringing down new condemnation on those people, right? We don't, we don't, as believers, walk around trying to find people who disagree with us and say, cursing's upon you. That's completely counterproductive because all of us were alienated and hostile, right? Is this too, are, you, are, you guys, are we too deep right now? Is this too late in the, in the Sunday in the snow? I see no joy. All of us were alienated and hostile, and thankfully, the people in the body of Christ weren't calling down curses from God. We were living in the curse. We were alienated and hostile. We were speaking against Him, and now we know Him, and He has transformed us. We are living in the promises now. So greet one another. Those who are outside, they're already living outside, so don't worry about them. Let's focus on us here. Our Lord, come. It's simply saying this whole thing is about waiting, seeing glimpses of when he will come. We can't wait to that day when it's all right. For now, we propel the love of Christ in us. Make sense? Amen. Church, as we go into worship, I simply ask us, what agenda are we trying to be strong in? What kind of paradigm are we living out of? Is it this American-made, human-made agenda of fighting for some kind of kingdom with hard Facebook words and swords? Or is it a kingdom that's built on love and honor? Is it a kingdom that changes the paradigm of the flesh to a kingdom that serves the Spirit, that lives in grace? I want to ask us, how are we being strong? What is the strength of City Lights? Are we being strong? Are we watching out? And by that, are we waiting to see what God's saying and building up His kingdom with love and peace? I'll read one more passage in Colossians. 
chapter 3. He says this in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, that's us, the church, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, that's us, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which is indeed to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is what the church that's victorious and standing strong looks like. One, one person has a problem, we forgive them. We walk in meekness and gentleness, and we walk in humility, we walk in the love of Christ, and we get together and we sing psalms and spiritual songs, and we thank God that He is the foundation of our kingdom, not our own agendas or the way we used to do things. Make sense? Let's stand and let's worship. I hope that the, this series through Corinthians has been, has been transformative to us. I hope that we're ready to go into this holiday season. And all the injustices you see on Thursday with your family, I hope you're able to respond with the kingdom of God, not with the kingdom of man. Amen? Let's worship for a little bit.